you can rest confidence that the Old Testament that you have in your Bible here is what the Jews had all those years ago, what God gave them. Welcome to the Followers of the Way podcast for October 8th, 2017. Today, our brother Omar brings us part two of his message entitled, Our Statement of Faith, Doctrine of the Scriptures. Archaeologists have wasted money, millions of dollars, trying to prove the Bible wrong. The Old Testament has stood the test of time, more so than any other book, more so than the New Testament. They've gone all the way back to excavate and look for things in the Old Testament account of the history of the world is accurate every single time. Brother Omar breaks down the history of the scriptures, and he also explains what the biblical canon is and how we can rely on its accuracy. So grab your Bible and follow along with us as we explore God's Word here on Followers of the Way. We're going to continue on our series on this, our statement of faith. Um, and uh, we are still in the doctrine of the scriptures for today, next time, and possibly the time after that. All right, so we, are, we were talking last time about what is it that our church believes about the scriptures. Now, if you guys remember, we have a statement of faith, and we are in the first part of our statement of faith, which is that as a church, we believe that the Holy Scriptures are the inspired, inerrant Word of God, sufficient for all matters of life, faith, and doctrine, which is what we covered last time, and this time we're going to cover... These Holy Scriptures are contained in the 39 books of the Old Testament and the 27 books of the New Testament as believed by the Protestant churches and taught in the various different confessions. We reject any apocryphal book as canonical. We're going to deal today with a fancy word. We're talking about canonicity, which is a fancy word dealing with what is the Scriptures, right? We believe that they're inspired. We believe they're the Word of God. But canonicity deals with what are those scriptures that is the Word of God, right? So in the Old Testament, we believe that there are 39 books, right? So when we're talking about God inspired certain scriptures, we mean that God inspired these certain scriptures and not others, right? God didn't inspire all the books of the world. He inspired only some books. How do we know that those books that God inspired are his word. And that's what canonicity deal with. The word canonicity comes from a Greek word which means measuring stick or a rod. So the word canon was a, a stick that was used to measure something and that told people how much this is. It was kind of like a measuring tool. Now the word canon means in the context of the Bible, is an authoritative list of books accepted as Holy Scripture. Let me give you an example. There are certain video games, for example, that have different endings, right? Some video games have like five different endings. So you play through the game, you play it again, and instead of turning left of the tree, you turn right. Instead of fighting the dragon, you fight the fish. You get a different ending, right? Every so often, a developer decides to make a sequel of the game, so he has to pick an ending to continue the story from. That ending that is picked becomes the what? The canonical ending. 
The same thing happens with certain fictional works like Star Wars. Star Wars has millions of stories and books that have been written, but only certain stories are considered the canonical stories, the officially accepted, legitimate stories. Amen? Amen, Amen Pastor Bold. Um, so, so basically, something that is canonical simply means something that has come to be accepted as or approved. And in the context of the scriptures, we're talking about these books that have been accepted and have been approved over other books that may have been written. So we're talking about which are the inspired, infallible, and perfect words of God. Now, we know from the scriptures that the Old Testament, the Apostle Paul says that the Old Testament was given or was entrusted to the Jewish people. He says this, he says, what advantage has the Jew or what is the value of circumcision? If you ever read the book of Romans, the book of Romans' first three chapters, Paul says out to prove that the Jews and the Gentiles were both equally sinful, right? They were, they were sinners, both equally. So he takes a pause and he says, so what's the point of being a Jew, right? We are equally sinners. Well, Paul says one of the advantages that the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. The Jewish people had the Bible. They had the scriptures. Nobody else had the scriptures. But God spoke to these particular group of people and entrusted them with his word. So the Jewish people... Um, yeah, the, the Jewish people were given the, the words of God, and Paul goes on to tell us, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. So in the book of Romans, now Paul is speaking to Gentiles. So he tells the Gentiles, whatever was written in the former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. So Paul tells Gentiles, there are things written before that were written for your instruction, and those things that were written before were entrusted to the Jewish people. So the New Testament contains over 250 quotations from the Old Testament, and if you take uh, things like partial quotations or indirect quotations, you're looking at over a thousand. So this Old Testament is God's word upon which the New Testament is built upon. Simple as that, right? So, we're going to talk about him in a minute. Um, the question is then, what is this Old uh, Testament? Like, what, what, how do we know? Here's the question. How do we know that what you have in your Bible right here is what the Jewish people had by the time Paul wrote Romans? Like, how do we know that these are the exact same books and the exact same um, writings that they had that we have today? Can we trust our Bible as God's word as it was given to the Jewish people over 2,000 years ago? Can we trust that? So, here's where things get a little bit complicated. The Jewish people were given the scriptures through a period of 1,400 years, Okay. So for 1,400 years, God inspired different writers and different uh, people of all different backgrounds, and they wrote down these writings, 
which were kept with the Jewish people. Um, so by the time we get to the apostles, all these writings were compiled into what we call a canon. So you have one compilation of all of these books that God gave to the Jewish people, right? Now, we get to this guy, Flavius Josephus. He was a historian of the early church period. He was not a Christian. He was Jewish by race, but he wasn't necessarily religiously Jewish. And uh, Fabius Josephus gives us sort of like a, a list of what the Jewish people up until his day, 37 to 100 AD, what they believed to be God's word. So he says this. He says, we have but 22 books containing the history of all time, books that are justly believed in, and of these, five are the books of Moses, which comprise the law and earliest traditions from creation, from the creation of mankind down to his death, from the death of Moses to the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, the, the successor of Xerxes, the prophets who succeeded Moses wrote the history of the events that occur in their own time. In 13 books, the remaining four documents comprise hymns to God and practical precepts to men. So Josephus says the Jewish people have 22 books that they believed came from God. These are the inspired books. Now I know you're asking yourself, my Old Testament has 39 books. So don't rip books out of your Bible. How does he get to 22 and we got 39? Simply this. The Jewish people divided their Bibles differently than we did. Right? So we have 1st and 2nd Samuel, they have Samuel. We have 1st and 2nd Kings, they have Kings. They didn't, you know, this, this is not Star Wars. We don't need sequels. We just need one book. Right? And certain, like Lamentations in Jeremiah was the same thing. Uh, I believe uh, Ruth was part of Judges, etc. So they divided the books differently, but more or less, their books, all of their Old Testament, was pretty much the same as the Old Testament that we have, divided differently. So up until this point in history, this is around Jesus' time, Josephus says, these are the books that these Jewish people believe in. They hold to these books to be God's word. Right? So, something very important. I'm, I'm building, I'm going somewhere. Something very important. He says, remember what he says. He says that the books were written from the times of Moses all the way up to King Artaxerxes, right? King of Persia. So Artaxerxes was the king of Persia. Nehemiah, if you go to the book of Nehemiah chapter 2, it says, In the month of Nisan, the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king, now I had not been sad in his presence. So Nehemiah chapter 2 starts heading out to Jerusalem to rebuild the wall of, of the temple during the 20th year of King Artaxerxes. Now, we know from history that during that time period, there was only three Jewish prophets, the last of the Jewish prophets. That was Zechariah, Haggai and Malachi. That's it. Those were the last Jewish prophets during the reign of King Artaxerxes. So the Jews believed that after that time, there was no more words from God. In other words, the Jews had closed their canon 
around that time. Zechariah, Haggai, Malachi, during the time of the king Atrocessus, which was the beginning of the rebuilding of the temple. Okay? Now, you got from Moses, Genesis, Moses wrote Genesis, and to Malachi, the canon was close to the books written during that period. So from, from Moses' time all the way up to the end of Malachi, the last prophet, that was the time period that the Jewish people believed that God spoke to them. After that, there was no more voice from God. All right? Now, the Jews held to a closed canon. That's very important. The Jews held to a closed canon. We Christians today hold to a closed canon. That means that God said what he said, and that's all he had to say. Now, when you hear people telling you they've heard things from God that are not here, then you got to say, well, we don't hold to an open canon. <laughs> Our canon is not open, and we cannot add more things to this book. So the canon has been closed. Now, we're not going to talk about the New Testament today, but next time I'll talk about the New Testament. But the Jews held to a closed canon. Now, God had prophesied to the Jewish people that he was going to stop talking to them, right? Amos chapter 8 says this, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst of water, but of hearing of the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea, from north to east. They shall run to and fro and seek the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. The Jewish people were prophesied to saying God was going to stop speaking to you. So as far as the Jews, by the time Jesus' time came, were concerned, prophecy was in the past or somewhere sometime in the future. And in fact, till this day, the Jewish people are awaiting to hear from God again. Now we know Christians, that in Hebrews chapter 1, it tells us what? Long ago, and many times in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, through whom He also created the world. We Christians know that God stopped speaking to the Jewish people, but then Christ came and he spoke to us, which unfortunately the Jewish people rejected by and large. So God stopped at Malachi, but he picked up again with Jesus, right? So the Jews believe divine revelation ended at Malachi. So here's where things get complicated. Here's a fancy word, apocrypha. Okay. So, anybody seen a Catholic? You ever had a Catholic Bible? Anybody read a Catholic Bible? Yes. Okay. If you ever had a Catholic Bible, we have in my house, we have a Catholic Bible that is about, not in my house, in my parents' house, that is about the size of this table. It's huge. It's this big thing. My father, believe it or not, actually won it. <laughs> he was salesman of the year. <laughs> and his company gave him this Bible. I don't know why. 
But I remember I was, I was, God, I was like five years old. And uh, his company threw a Christmas party, and we went down to Guajataca, which you should know about because it's in the news. Where's that reservoir or whatever? So there's like a resort there that overlooks the whole place there. And uh, he won Salesman of the Year. They gave him, um, I don't know, some money, a trophy, and this huge, enormous Bible. It was like a pulpit Bible. You just put it there, and you leave it there forever. And this thing is gorgeous. It's got gold, and it's got artwork, and it's just super fancy, whatever. But if you ever pick up a Catholic Bible and you go to the Old Testament, it doesn't have 39 books. It has 46 books. There's seven extra books in the Catholic Bible that you don't find in the Protestant Bible. Those books are called the Apocrypha. So Apocrypha simply means writings or statements of dubious authenticity. They do not call them the Apocrypha. Yes. Okay? We call them yes. the, the, the Apocrypha. They do not call them the Apocrypha. They have an even fancier word, which is deuterocanonical books. Deuterocanonical. Can you say that? Deuterocanonical? No? Okay. <laughs> the word deutero simply means second, right? So second canon books, right? So that includes Tobit or Tobith or Tobias, depending on which version you got. Judith, Wisdom, uh, Sirach, which is also Ecclesiasticus, uh, Baruch, and First and Second Maccabees. And they also have additions to the book of Daniel, like a couple of extra chapters, and Jeremiah, and Esther, etc. So the question is, where does that come from? And why do we, as a church, do not hold to those books? Why we don't have them in our Bibles, right? So, there's two Jewish or Old Testament texts, right? You have the Masoretic text, that's Hebrew, and you have the Septuagint, which is Greek. Septuagint means, means 70 in Greek. It's a fancy word for 70. Um, the Masoretic text, which is the Hebrew text of the Jewish people, had the writings that we have in the Old Testament. That's it, the 39 books, or the 22 books, but that's it. The Septuagint contained the other works along with the Old Testament Greek translation. So the, the Greek Old Testament included those other works, the Tobias, 1st and 2nd Maccabees, etc. So, um, the Hebrew Bible never contained any of the apocryphal books because all of these books that I just listed to you were written after the period of Malachi, which the Jews believed God had shot up. The other reason is that these works are in Greek, and the Jews would never believe that God will speak to anybody in any language other than Hebrew which is why they rejected the New Testament. Because the New Testament is in Greek. God only talks to people in Hebrew. He don't talk to people in some lesser language. He talks to people in Hebrew. So the Jewish people, by and large, in fact, if you, you notice the list that um, Josephus gave, he didn't list any of these books. Because that's the Jewish people held to the, you know, 
just the 39 books that we have, they didn't hold to those books. So how do they make it into the Bibles? Well, the Old Testament, Greek translation, was the Old Testament that was used by the apostles. Okay? For example, the Apostle Paul, when he quoted scripture, he quoted the Septuagint version. And the reason we can tell that is because there's a certain, there's certain language that the Septuagint uses. Whenever you translate a Bible, certain word arrangements happen. Right? You, you can't just directly translate from one language to another. You have to find an equivalent. Right? So we can tell that when the apostle was quoting scriptures, he was quoting the Septuagint in many, many places. Yet, there is not one quotation from any of the books that I just listed that is in the Catholic Church. It was only the regular books of the Old Testament. None of the other books that I show you that is in the Catholic Church were quoted by any of the apostles in their writings. All right? So, when, we, uh, when, when the Bible is, starts going out into the Roman Empire and the Greek New Testament... This is the only scripture available to a Greek-speaking person. Is coming out, and a lot of times, those books were included. So you get into this situation where, if you read a lot of the writings of the early church fathers, they accepted, a lot of them, those books as canonical. Some of them questioned those books as canonical. Some of them accepted those books as canonical. So as time goes by and the lists of the books of the Bible are starting to put together, those books are being included also. So you get into the situation where, for example, a church father like Jerome says these books are not canonical. St. Augustine says, yes, they are. So they are included in the Bibles, and they make it eventually into the Latin Vulgate Bible, which is the Catholic Bible. And for a thousand years, all the Bibles in the world had those books. Up until the Reformation. Martin Luther is the reason why we don't have those books in our Bibles. They were removed. I'm going to give you the reasons why they were removed. Number one. They have very, quote-unquote, interesting teachings, these books. For example, in Tobias chapter 6, it says this. Then the angel said to him, this is Tobias. Then the angel said to him, take out the entrails of a fish, lay up his heart and his gall and his liver for thee, for these are necessary for useful medicine. So Tobias is being told by some angel in this book to cut up the fish and take out the insides of the fish because they're good for medicine. And when he had done so, he roasted the flesh thereof, and they, looked, they took it with them in the way. The rest they salted as much as might serve them till they came to Rage's city of Medes. Then Tobias asked the angel and said to him, I beseech thee, brother Azarias, tell me what remedies are these things good for which thou hast bid me keep of the fish. And the angel answering said to him, If thou put a little piece of his heart upon coals, the smoke will drive away all kinds of devils, either from man or from woman, so that they come no more to him. That does not sound like something that should be in the Old Testament. That sounds like something that should be in a botanica somewhere. 
So some of the teachings that you find in these books do not square with the rest of the Bible. You don't find anything like that, neither in the Old or in the New Testament. That is not even in the ceremonial laws of Israel. So some of the other books, for example, 2 Maccabees, chapter 12, and making a gathering, he sent 12,000 drams of silver to Jerusalem for sacrifice to be offered for the sins of the dead, thinking well and religiously concerning the resurrection. So money could be paid, according to this book, to offer sacrifice for the sins of the dead. You see why these are in the Catholic Church, number one. And number two, you see why they're not in any of the Hebrew canons of the Bible. Because any good Jew will look at that and be like, yeah, that's not something that Moses or anybody that we know wrote. <laughs> and it was written in Greek. Now, the other problem with these books is that they're historically inaccurate. In fact, embarrassingly inaccurate. Judas chapter 1 says, Now in the twelfth year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar, king of the Assyrians. Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon. So that's not even close to being right. That's not even a grammatical error. <laughs> so you have, uh, number one is, they have bad teachings, bad doctrine. Number two is, they don't have good history. So they could not have come from God because God knows that Nebuchadnezzar was the king of the Babylonians. All right. The other, the other uh, book, one of the examples, Baruch chapter 6, is that the Jews will be captive in Babylon for 70 generations, when Jeremiah said 70 years. So you have these mistakes, historical mistakes, plus you have strange, weird, santeria-type teachings um, in these books, which is why the church always went back and forth. See, the Old Testament canon, meaning... Genesis to Malachi was never questioned by anybody in the church. The same thing happens when the New Testament canon. But these books were questioned in the church, back and forth, throughout history. Some of them included them, some of them took them out, some of them included them, and, and it went like that up until the Protestant Reformation, because during the Protestant Reformation, the Bible was lifted up to its proper place, above tradition and above teachings of men, and when that happens, the implication is if the Bible is authoritative over your life, you need to read it, and if you don't read Latin, well, we need to get your Bible in your language. So translations began to happen, and Martin Luther, in translating the Bible, took out those books, he put it at the end, as profitable for reading, meaning they're good, you, know, you want to read them, but they're not God's Word. They have no authority over your life. That's why these books were removed from the Protestant Bible. They were never found in the Hebrew Bible. So you can rest confidence that the Old Testament that you have in your Bible here is what the Jews had all those years ago. It's what God gave them. And he preserved all the way down to this day. Now, the other reason why they were rejected was, number one, obviously they had weird teachings. Number two, they were questioned by, by the church. 
Number three, they had historical inaccuracies. So all those negative things, the, the flip of that is that that's what our Bible has. The Bible has proper teaching, right? It's always been accepted by the church, never been questioned. The Old Testament was never once anybody says, I don't think this is from God. No, all the churches, all the councils always took in the Old Testament as it, as it is. And number three is perfect, historically. I mean, archaeologists have wasted money, <laughs> millions of dollars, trying to prove the Bible wrong. The Old Testament has stood the test of time, more so than any other book, more so than the New Testament. They've gone all the way back to excavate and look for things, and the Old Testament account of the history of the world is accurate every single time. And it has been questioned, and it has passed, and it stood the test of time. So, that being said, why should you value the Old Testament? Number one is, the New Testament is built upon the Old Testament. All of the promises of the Bible and all the promises that you have in Christ are in the Old Testament. The prophecies of Jesus, his, his um, incarnation, his death and burial, his crucifixion and the cross is all in your Old Testament. So the Old Testament is what the New Testament is built upon. And it's just as for you as the New Testament is. Paul said it. These things were written for our instructions that we may have hope in the scriptures. What scriptures? The only scriptures that they had at the time. That was the Hebrew Bible. So this Old Testament, you can rest confident that it is today as it was when it was first given to God's people, and he preserved it and maintained it for us here in this side of the cross because we're also his people. And the prophecies and the promises that God gave to the Israel and to those who were going to be saved by faith in him are found here in this Old Testament. So God has kept his word. God has preserved his word the same way he inspired it. And he did it through the Jewish people. They were the custodians. They were entrusted with them. They kept it and they maintained it. They died for it in many cases. Amen? Amen. All right. So that's, that's my short sermon for today. Let's pray. All right. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for, for your word, Lord. We thank you for your scriptures, Lord. We thank you that not only did you inspire them, Lord, but you preserved them all the way down to us, Lord. We thank you for the Jewish people, Lord, whom you gave these words to that they preserved it, Lord, that they were custodians of your word, Lord, and they kept it for all these generations for us, Lord. We thank you for all the promises that you give us in the Old Testament, Lord. We thank you for all the prophecies you gave us by Christ, Lord. We thank you for, for Psalms, for Proverbs, for all the wisdom that you find in this Old Testament, Lord. And, and we pray that you may give us a hunger to read your word, Lord and to give us a hunger, Lord, to appreciate the preservation of your word, Lord. So we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Followers of the Way podcast. If you like more information about Followers of the Way Church, visit our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash FOTW Church. 
Again, that's www.facebook.com forward slash FOTW Church. We trust and hope that you've enjoyed hearing God's word and how to apply it to our lives. Our podcast is updated weekly, so remember to follow us here at Followers of the Way. Praise, put your hands up, tell him how incredible he is, not for what he did. Praise, put your hands up, tell him how incredible he is, just cause who he is. Praise, put your hands up, tell him how incredible he is, not for what he did.